So hello and welcome to our series of podcasts from our Arrow Vision event in 2019. Wow, what a day, eh? What a day. This is um, So this is the first time we've run this event, and essentially what we've done is taken over the whole of Olympia. And I'm not even joking, the whole of Olympia. It's, it's a big old place, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And we filled it. We didn't do too bad, did we, actually? We've done Congrats fantastic. to all the Arrow team involved. That's what I'd say. Very that much. That was a very much big thing. old call, that. So what you're going to listen to over the next uh, six weeks is essentially the sessions, the breakout sessions that we had at Vision. So we've recorded them all as audio files, and we're essentially going to put them out for your listening delights. And I tell you what, that's going to cover a heck of a lot of topics as well, isn't it? Yes. So right. we've had uh, data intelligence, AI, IoT. So apologies in advance, you're going to hear my dulcet tones again. Security, cloud, and next generation data center. Wow. So, I, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, we're too polite. Mate. We are too polite, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> so I think, um, hopefully, yeah, for your listening pleasure, um, if you were unable to attend Vision this year, um, I think, yeah, you get an insight as to hopefully some of the uh, some of the content, some of the trends, some of the some of the latest news, some of the updates from vendors old and new, yeah, absolutely, and from uh, across the uh, the Arrow family. Yes, very much so. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, you know, I, I would always suggest any feedback, much received. Yeah, hashtag Arrowfamily on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. And we will, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it and we'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Enjoy. So good afternoon, everybody. Ooh. Can everybody hear at the back? Is that coming through? Great. So um, firstly, I'd just like to thank all of you for taking the time out today to join us here at Vision. Um, for those of you I haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Chris Alton, and I look after the cloud business for Arrow in the UK. Today is really an incredibly exciting day for us all at Arrow, because I genuinely think this marks an occasion where we're announcing one of the biggest transformations that we've gone through as an organization um, in recent times. And I'm very privileged in that I look after the cloud business, which I genuinely believe sits at the forefront of a lot of that innovation and acts as the overarching driver for a lot of what we're going to talk about and what we're going to do as an organization in general. So I'm really excited today to be joined by a really comprehensive lineup of speakers. We've got a huge amount to get through. So we've designed um, this stream to really be short, sharp, concise, and give you as good an overview or an updated view on the cloud marketplace as possible. Now, having looked at the registration data, it's amazing to see the difference in the type of partner that sat in front of us today. Certainly the audience that I've presented to now versus the audience that I presented to probably two years ago when I took over the cloud business is very different. I think the majority of you are well and truly on your cloud journey. And what that means is that we needed the agenda today to be different. We needed it to be about helping you to grow your cloud business. So we're not here to talk to you about what cloud is. We're here to talk to you about what we can do to help you expand your business out and start to leverage areas of Arrow that potentially you haven't been engaged with to date. So solution providing, outcome providing, to echo some of the things that Mark talked about this morning, that's how we see you being in a position where you're maximizing your margins, you're differentiating yourself from your competitors, and ultimately, you're building your own IP. And that's what a lot of the program is that we've built today, uh, or what that program's designed to do. So we're here to tell you a story today, and each of the speakers has an element and a chapter of that story. So we're gonna be starting with 
how can you ultimately identify the right workloads for cloud, and then probably most importantly, continue to optimize that public cloud environment moving forward. We're going to transition into governance. And governance is an interesting topic for us because ultimately it's something that sits often toward the end of a cloud discussion. But by moving it further forward, it's going to give you more time to scale those processes effectively and ultimately protect your organization. We're then going to transition into looking at the complexity of multi-cloud environments, hybrid cloud environments, and how to move data effectively between those platforms. We'll then be looking at ultimately the governance again around that and how that runs. Um, then we're going to finally kind of wrap up with some security insight and some workloads that we think are critical um, and exciting for you to start to look at uh, as you scale out those cloud businesses. So I'll then wrap the session by talking a little bit about what Arrow can do to help you build cloud practices. I'm going to update you on our cloud platform. Um, and then hopefully we'll have a bit of time to do some Q&A. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Paul Hollow to the stage. Paul is Senior Partner Development Manager for Densify and the Mir level. Good. Paul. Thank you very much. All right. Let me make sure I don't stand in the way. Can you hear me all right at the back there? Okay. All good. Right. Hi. Thanks very much, Chris. Really a uh, pleasure to be with you guys today. It's a fantastic turnout. So um, Densify possibly haven't heard of uh, Dentify before um, and, and what does it mean to you as a partner? Essentially, we're the most advanced cloud and container resource management platform on the market. Uh, and why does that matter to you? Um, it's we're a differentiator. Like uh, Chris has just alluded to earlier, saying you, know, you need to differentiate yourselves from the competition. Dentify can absolutely provide you with that platform to do so. so We deliver some two kinds of magic to the end customer. Um, you can leverage this and drive your services revenue off uh, what Dentify can provide. So for in the first instance, cloud ops. Imagine if your cloud ops customer your, or the cloud ops uh, role within your customer could um, rely on the fact that his applications just knew what uh, resources they need or what instance types they need from the public cloud catalog. It's vast. It's huge. There's, if you look at AWS, for instance, EC2 alone, one of 90 services offered by AWS, there's 1.7 million different permutations and configurations of instance types within that, that catalog, uh, that specific element of that catalog. So we can deliver precise uh, automated application resource recommendations uh, automatically to your cloud ops person. On the other side of things, imagine if your finance organization within your customer could accurately purchase what they need, not make purchasing decisions based on uh, a developer saying, listen, we need X um, instance type for this uh, particular workload, uh, knowing that it's too large and too costly. They don't really care, all right? But if you can specifically define your procurement process uh, through the application of a solution like Densify, it makes a massive difference to not only the operation side of the business, but to the finance side. So what we're seeing in the marketplace is uh, a, a massive confusion uh, around what needs to be done when transforming to public cloud. Um, you know, you have these agile processes where DevOps are you know, required to deliver resources to the, uh, the business in, in a much more rapid fashion. Um, 
application owners are, tend to hold on to what they know, um, and shifting to public cloud is, is often a, uh, a very well thought out process, um, and it's confusing. There's a lot of um, capacity considerations that need to be made, and there's a lot of uh, avail uh, um, services available in the public cloud. So what we're finding is that traditional capacity management is almost being negated or, or uh, worked around because the availability of cloud resources is so accessible. Um, Suboptimal decisions are being made, road purchasing, shadow IT, that kind of thing where um, we've actually seen you know, organizations spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds a month uh, on cloud resources on credit cards. Um, and that just puts a hell of a lot of stress on the finance teams. Um, you know, they are suddenly starting to sit up to this uh, realization that cloud costs are not everything that they were made out to be. It was supposed to be cheaper. It was supposed to be more simple. Um, cloud ops are getting less and less control as these rogue purchases and, and uh, different avenues to um, acquiring uh, capacity within the clouds are, are being explored. So this is when um, you know, an organization will go out and buy what we call a bill reader, something to understand and dissect that bill, um, look at um, you know, various reports showing you know, where that money is being spent, which parts of the organization are actually consuming that, the, most, the most resource. Um, these products are uh, making recommendations about you know, how to right size on a very fundamental level and even making recommendations on reserved instances, which is really, really dangerous um, if you don't understand the underlying workload and exactly what resources that particular workload needs and how to match that application resource with the cloud supply. That's what Densify does, uh, is bread and butter to us, right? So yes, you can make some savings through um, committing to an RI strategy, um, based on recommendations from other products. But if you get it wrong, you're locked into that strategy for a one or a three year period, whatever that, um, that strategy defines. You may save yourself 15, 20%, which is great, but it doesn't fix the problem, all right? You, you're still sitting there with your resources, uh, so your application's running on the wrong stuff, all right? So it leaves cloud ops stuck in the middle between delivering resources to the business uh, where you know, they're being driven to provide efficient and sufficient resource to the application owners so that those applications don't fall down. On the other side of the, the puzzle, you've got your finance teams who are constantly trying to drive down costs because they scale rapidly in the public cloud. So the, the cloud ops guy, he, his only interest is in supporting the application owners and making sure those applications don't fall over. He's not paid to worry about cost, all right? The, the DevOps guys, the people who are uh, writing the code to um, provision resources from the public cloud to the business, they don't care about cost. All they want to make sure is that the application owner is happy at the end of the day. All right, so introducing Densify, we have patented machine learning technology that takes the stress off the cloud ops role, all right? We are providing a high level of automation and machine learning that understands these workloads deeply um, and provides the recommendations that are precise for that particular business, precise for the application to make sure that they're matching application um, 
the, the application with the right amount of cloud resource. Uh, so it gives you better control, um, better, more predictable performance in the, in the environment, and obviously that has a spin-off in terms of reducing the amount of cloud spend. So how does this work? Um, it's very technical product, I suppose. Um, if you if you dig into it, I'll be happy to show you a demo. We have a stand uh, over there, so uh, pop over and have a have a chat. Uh, but basically, what we are doing is building very deep demand patterns, um, understanding these workload workload profiles, and building um, recommendations based on the characteristics of those particular workloads. We benchmark this against the underlying infrastructure um, and the and, and normalized cloud models. So we are multi-cloud, we are uh, hybrid, so we can uh, look at VMware environments as well as multiple cloud providers. Um, using various technologies, we can um, provide cost, performance, and technical rules. And then it's not only the technical attributes that you need to be uh, considering, it's also what's important to the business. You know, is there specific lines of business that need to be kept apart? What sort of policies are, are uh, needed in place to make sure that your applications run within the safe operational boundaries? Using our cloud learning optimization engine, affectionately called Chloe, um, we come out with three use cases. So being able to optimize on-premise VMware, so it's like playing a game of Tetris. So using predictive analytics and workload placement, we can drive up the density in a VMware environment and reduce the, uh, the overall cost at the end of the day. And uh, avoid um, uh, you know, workloads um, contending for resource. <clears throat> from a um, transformation perspective, so looking at uh, moving from VMware to new generation platforms or to the public cloud, um, we can absolutely build those transformation models. And then once you're in the public cloud, continuous optimization, um, being able to use our single line of code to ensure that that hard-coded instance type is avoided and there's a call to densify that says, just you understand our workload better than anyone, you understand the cloud providers and the technology available, you make a recommendation. So aligning cloud costs with Actual demands is exactly what we do. We can help uh, size correctly, match the actual family type to the instance, uh, and at the end of the day, through scale group optimization and correct resource, uh, sorry, um, reserved instance optimization, we can match application demand with cloud supply. Um, oops, sorry. <coughs> so. The, uh, the, over, the, the outcome of that is really better matching. In this instance, we were able to improve the um, matching of the application to the cloud supply by 84%. Um, and you know, they, they were running on outdated um, uh, offerings, which saved these guys 8.2 million uh, in, in a year. So I know it's uh, 10 minutes goes fast when you're having fun, crikey. Um, but anyway, we're wrapping up with that, uh, that uh, little bit of a customer insight and um, if you want to come and have a chat to us please do um, you know learn how we can add value to your business and uh, help you generate those services revenue around our SaaS delivered uh, solution. Well, thank you very much. Cheers.
speaker. There we go. Thanks very much, Paul. That was brilliant. So it's now my pleasure to welcome to the stage James Marshall, who's a technology strategist at Microsoft, to talk to you about cloud governance and 10 things that you might need to know about the cloud. 10 things you, you do need, not might, you do definitely need, to know. need you do. to know about cloud. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to whistle-stop tour you through 10 things you need to know about cloud. I will try and not tell you anything that you don't already know, but there might be some things you might have heard before, might be some things that you haven't. Hopefully, you'll all take away something from this presentation. If nothing else, you get to look at some pretty slides, which I spent a lot of time over. Anyway, you're going to get three things from me over the next 10 minutes. One is I'm going to tell you the things I think you need to know about cloud. I'm going to tell you why I think you need to know them. And I'm going to tell you about how you can start to use those things to help weave your cloud strategies more effectively, help your customers be more successful, and take away something practical from this. So starting with number 10, Microsoft Azure is big. All knew that. But it's really big, 54 regions around the world. It's the biggest public cloud provider uh, of any of them. In fact, it's bigger than our competitors combined. That means you can achieve scale. It means you can place resources where your customers are so that they can access them whenever they need to. We don't like people to be too far away from their data. It's bad for performance. So we have data centers completely spread out around the world. That doesn't mean 54 data centers. That's 54 regions with many, many data centers within them. And to couple that, you can't have all of that footprint and be a hyperscale cloud provider without the trust that has to underpin that. So we're really pleased that we have more than 90 compliance standards to our name, and that number is growing all the time. Because when you put your data and your customers' data in the cloud, you need to be able to trust the provider that you're going on that journey with to take just as good care of it as you would in your own data center. So we're big. Number nine is that we're open. This isn't your father's Microsoft or the Microsoft that you knew of old. Microsoft embraces open standards, it embraces open technologies, and multiple vendor solutions. So when you build your solutions powered by something like Azure, you don't have to worry about re-engineering something specifically to the Microsoft stack. In fact, it doesn't matter what you develop with, what you manage with, or what infrastructure you want to bring. You can bring it all onto, onto Azure. In fact, we know that something in the region of more than 50% of new virtual machine workloads are running an open source distribution of Linux, which is an incredible statistic when you think about our heritage. But it's an important one to say to people because actually there is still a perception out there that it has to be a Windows operating system that you bring or it has to be running an Internet Explorer. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Number eight, I mentioned about the compliance standards, but just to index on that trust a little bit further. We take this very seriously. When we work with government customers and public sector customers, when we work with big and regulated industries, we know that they have standards that they must rigorously adhere to in order to be able to take advantage of some of these cloud solutions. If there is a logo that is not on this slide and you need it to be, you can work with Microsoft to ensure that we're getting to the level of rigor and standards that you need in order to be successful, in order that we can continue that trust that we have. It's also secure. I mentioned this a couple of times. As a hyperscale cloud provider, we can't provide you with the services that you need without being secure. And we invest over a billion dollars a year in keeping that way. We can't afford to jeopardize the trust you place in us by letting something slip up. So we invest in best-in-class security and penetration testing, ops and monitoring, and empowering our partners to help our customers with those tools too, in order that you can add value to your clients by showing them that you're taking their estates seriously from a security perspective as well. Number six, this is a bit different. This isn't so much of a technical one. Monthly recurring revenue is a good thing. I'm not a mathematician, 
but we're going to do a little bit of maths. This slide talks, who's familiar with the rule of 78 or the power of 78? Show of hands. Amazing. You can, this is the thing you're going to learn. So if you add one new customer every single month and that customer spends 500 pounds per month, you get 78 lots of 500 pounds over a 12 month period as you ramp up. That equates to 39,000 pounds in this example. Insert your own numbers here. So in, in the first, you know, as you're adding customers or increasing spend, you get to 39K. In year two, you get the full 12 months. That suddenly jumps up without doing anything. That jumps up to 79,200 with a little bit of growth. By the end of year three, if you keep adding customers, if you keep repeating the same solutions, using some of the government's tools I'll come on to in a second, you can grow a £39,000 business in year one to over a £200,000 business by the end of year three, just by learning how to do the same thing really well over and over again, automating it and scaling it using some of the tools that we have. And of course, this is great because this lands in your bank account every single month. This isn't a one-off project that you sell into a customer and then you walk away for three or five years and stay on the phone in case it goes wrong. This helps you form an ongoing relationship upon which you can build your own services, your own IP, all the other things that you might want to add in terms of value-added stuff on top of the cloud services underneath. So monthly recurring revenue is a good thing. It's cumulative and you get that compound effect and it suddenly becomes a really powerful driver to help you grow because you're then getting this annuity business model, which is where you want to be. On to the governance. Five, get good at governance. There are lots of partners here today that will talk to you about getting your first steps onto the cloud. I'm not interested in telling you how to start on the cloud, although I will happily wax lyrical about that for a long time. You need to get good at these things if you really want to differentiate and be successful. The key here is all these tools help you avoid things like bill shock. They help you stay things like secure and rigorous. For example, Azure Policy, Azure Monitor, Scheduler, and Site Recovery, these tools allow you to put a wrapper around your environments so that you don't get into the situation I was talking just before the presentation started. You wouldn't give somebody an unlimited credit card and then act all surprised when they spend money on it. But yet often that's what partners do with their customers when they're building cloud services. They open up a cloud subscription, deploy something, and then get shocked when the customer starts spinning up big SQL instances or chunky virtual machines. There are tools within the governance portfolio that help you lock this down. So you can say you're only allowed to provision these sorts of resources or only these roles are allowed to access these certain things. I'm going to create blueprints for my service that say, actually, you can only provision a set of resources in this framework. Maybe it might be a backup offering or an e-commerce solution. So you effectively empower your customer to take control of their estate, but in a structured way. That means they're not going to go off and start doing something that you don't support or you can't cater to. You can use these governance tools, all available through the portal or through the cloud shell, to start to apply that wrapper of control. And this forms part of what Microsoft calls its cloud adoption framework, or its cloud operating model, which is a whole gigantic piece of IP around how you can start to build a cloud governance workflow into your businesses. It's a massive thing. It could take hours to take through it. But the good thing is, it is incredibly well documented. So if you go onto our website, and we can make sure through Arrow that you get the links to that sort of thing, or if you do a quick search, you will find everything there is to know. Underneath each of these topic areas are page after page of how to get started, how to use those technologies. And I would encourage all of you to go away from today and try them, because things like Azure Policy don't cost a penny. 
It's a free service that you add on to existing Azure implementation to lock it down and keep it under control. So once you start to get your head around the governance tools, then you have to start thinking about that repeatability, that 78 rule I talked about just now. So rather than doing bespoke project work each time, think about what it is that your customer base wants and how you can wrap that up into something that you can give to somebody and say, here is one line of PowerShell that will go and hydrate that entire environment through templates automatically and lock it down. Because that's the reality that we can get to, but so often we fail to get all the way there. We go and build something in the cloud, and then we don't sort of think about how we can repeat that. It is true to say you could run, you could build an entire organization of an enterprise size in templates and fire that up in one line of code and have the whole thing deploy automatically. That's what you want to get to because then when you're selling to a customer, you're not having to completely you know, whiteboard out everything from scratch. You know, hey, we have that in our little catalog of services we can offer. I'm just going to click that button and it's going to go and provision me that solution. And I know using those governance tools, that's all going to work the way I expect. Number three, there is a universal truth. If you take away nothing else from this presentation, in fact, if you take away nothing else from today, there is one thing that is absolutely true, which is that your customers are transforming without you. And it doesn't matter what I say. And in fact, it doesn't matter what you do going away from today. You might think, James, you've raised some interesting points there. Chris is going to talk to you about some great things, or we have some great keynotes, but I've got other priorities that I need to worry about. The truth is, standing still is moving backwards. And our customers are seeking to work with partners that can give them the types of solutions and scale and solve problems that they've wanted for a long time. Number two, you've got to invest in people and skills. Any of you that heard James Chadwick, my director, talk in the keynote earlier on, know that's front and center to Microsoft's growth mindset culture and the culture of learn it all rather than know it all. But it's true. We have a skills shortage in the industry. You need to invest in people and empower them to learn and grow. And lastly, you're not alone. Microsoft is absolutely here to help you. Our mission is to empower every organization, every individual on the planet to achieve more. And we work with Arrow to make that a reality. So if you do nothing else from today, understand Microsoft's partner strategy, come and speak to us on the stand, pick up the phone to anybody in Chris's team and take that first step. The best advice I can give you is start by starting. Let's start that today, come have a chat with us afterwards and we can tell you more about it. And without any more from me, I'll hand you over back to Chris and on to me. Thank you. Award for the most content covered there. That was brilliant. So thank you very much, James. Um, now, pleasure to welcome George Kenny, Enterprise Systems Engineer from Veeam, to the stage to talk about intelligent data management. Right, so that was good. A bit of uh, arithmetic for the day. I think it's uh, done as well. Power of 78, was it? So yeah, my name's uh, George. Let's uh, flick straight on. I'm a Systems Engineer for Veeam. Um, again, it's a 10-minute session, so I want to keep this snappy. I want to just basically give you guys a bit of an insight into, into what Veeam do in terms of how we help with the, the channel, ultimately. Um, and the way I'm going to do that is just talk to you really about, this is a key word we often refer, refer to as availability. Um, it's a jazzed up name for backup, if you will, but it's very much a case of if your customers have data, if your customers have applications and services, how does that get protected? What do we, what do you, what do they do around making sure that data is available within inside all of their spheres. And that might be within a private cloud, it might be within a traditional data center, it might be within public cloud. We just heard, heard James talking there from Microsoft about what they do in that public cloud space. So we integrate with those public cloud providers to make sure that data is protected going in and coming out. 
Equally so SaaS, application service, things like Workday, Salesforce.com, Microsoft Office 365, these are all things that we are seeing our customers or your customers adopt. And it's a case of, okay, we're moving our data and we're moving our applications into those platforms, but how do we protect that data? If it becomes compromised, how do we mitigate that risk? Okay. And again, traditionally, physical architecture, Solaris, AX, all of those platforms you see in the traditional data center, that's not going away. I specifically work in the enterprise space, so those, I guess those traditional platforms are still, not necessarily a thorn on our side, but they're not all cloud-based. So we still need to have an avenue to protect those and move that data, mobilize it. And the very top there, we talk about orchestration because some of this data is transient. It's moving between the on-prem infrastructure, it's moving into public or private cloud. And what your customers want and what we see within their channel is they want visibility, they want control. And that's from an availability perspective, this, this keyword here we use about our availability platform is how we encourage that, how we actually have that, I don't want to say the word single pane of glass, but that platform that allows us to see across that whole spectrum all these different spheres, okay? So this is the cloud session. So I'm going to talk to you about a few of the use cases we have in terms of uh, our customers, or your customers, I should say, that allow us to uh, understand how, how Veeam is adopted. And there's two basic premises, data in and data out. I use Azure as an example here, but other cloud providers are available. Um, and this is the notion of, OK, customers got data. They've got applications. They've got services. We're protecting that. We're orchestrating. We're moving it somewhere. And we're utilizing public cloud as a target. So we're sending the data into it. And that's something that we want to have as an efficient process, because we're sending vast amounts of our data into a public cloud repository. We want that to be seamless. We want it to be low cost. And we want to get that data back as, as, as efficient as we can, like we used to do in our traditional data centers. Okay, So that's moving the data into public cloud. The second scenario, as you can imagine, is the complete opposite. Okay, We've started to build applications and services. Maybe that's SaaS. Maybe that's PaaS, maybe that's VMs that live with inside Azure, okay? But how do we protect it? Just because it's in public cloud doesn't now mean we don't protect it. Okay, fair enough, somebody's looking after the cooling, the power, the heat, the, 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 the availability of those particular platforms, but if something goes wrong with them, how do we protect it? Do we want it all to be within that one public cloud platform? Do we want it to be cross-cloud? We've still got some storage on-prem. Do we want to protect that and bring it down? So this is a challenge, really, in terms of how that data looks with inside public cloud. And you just heard James talking about that list of, of very valuable things that Azure say that are valuable. One of them is Azure Backup. Yes, there are native cloud protection tool sets with inside those cloud providers. But one of the challenges that we see within public cloud is those native tool sets that live with inside public cloud limit you to utilizing their platform. So if you're an Azure customer, let's say, for example, great platform, one of our, our biggest, biggest alliances, the Azure backup protects your data with inside Azure. So from Veeam's perspective, we appreciate that our channel and our customers have a multi-cloud strategy. So it might be the fact you're protecting from Azure into another cloud provider or vice versa. So this, this data out premise is all about using Veeam to get that data out, have visibility of it, do all that compliance stuff afterwards that you would do within your traditional data center. So, just going to rattle off three different scenarios here where this, we, we see this happening within our customer environments. Okay? And one of these is something we call cloud tier. Okay? And it's a very easy way for an end user customer to build up data set and move that into public cloud as a protected tool set. And what you typically see is, OK, I've got an application. And I need to keep, I don't know, five, six, seven years worth of that data. Okay? 
So you probably want maybe 30 days that's local, that's available for you to actually interact with. But after that time, the dependency of that data gets less important. It, once it goes beyond a year, actually, you know what? I just need yearly copies. So Cloud Tier from Veeam allows us to move that data into those public cloud platforms in a very efficient fashion. And just to pick out some of these things here, stored data without double charges. What you'll find with a lot of the, the guys, our competitors, that move data into public cloud is they charge on a per gig or per terabyte da data to move that data into public cloud. With us, we do that as part of the platform. So if you think about it as a car driving into the garage, you know, yes, you need to pay to store your car in the garage, but Veeam don't charge you for the car to get the data there. It's free to mobilize that data into the public cloud environment. Okay? So you've got your pre predominantly local storage inside your environment, and ultimately, use an example here, Microsoft Azure Blob, as a target for where we want to send that data to on a long-term basis. Okay? So very easy to utilize. The other, this, this slide here has got a quick animation. I'll just whiz through it very quickly. It's about the dehydration of that. And it's trying to be very efficient about how we get the data back. It took us a while to develop it. And ultimately, it's all hinged on the back of um, we want to make sure that when we're rehydrating that data out to the customer's environment, we're only taking the re relevant chunks of data that we need. So let's assume they've moved tons of data into public cloud and they do a restore. Chances are they have a copy of that data locally. So we're only going to take the blocks of data that move them down. If any of you have done that within public cloud, you know that taking data out of public cloud costs. So we're trying to be very efficient how we move that data out and actually bring it back to the customer environment. Once you've got the data there, what do you do with it? You just leave it there? Is it backup data? You never touch it? We have this notion of cloud mobility. And it's based on the premise that once that data lands in public cloud, it's sitting there as a dormant file, well, actually, we will actually now turn that on and spin it up. We actually want to take that backup file that's of our I think my mic's just gone. Yep. And actually um, turn it on. So this is almost like a DR into cloud. You've got an on-prem or a cross-cloud strategy. We're now sending those backup files into cloud in a very cost-efficient and effective way. But now with cloud mobility from Veeam, we can actually send a command into those to convert those raw, stagnant backup files and actually spin them up. So in terms of can you DR into cloud, it's a big green tick there, because we can do that now with Veeam cloud mobility. Okay. And last but not least, cloud native availability. This is the last one. And the key word here really is native. If we're protecting data inside cloud, traditionally, most organizations need to deploy something called an agent into that. We don't. We use this notion of native capabilities. If you think about it in a VMware environment, with VMware, you'd create a snapshot. So VMware would create a snapshot for you. And then we'd use that as the data point to, cover, to, to capture the data. In cloud, it works very similar. So cloud native means, ultimately, that we're utilizing a snapshot in those public cloud providers. That's our point of source for the data to be a, a, a captured. And then we just move it. That can be with inside the same cloud provider on a different account, so the accounts don't get compromised, or into another geography, or back into on-prem. So think about that. Workloads living inside public cloud that you can now actually take an active native snapshot. There's no agent there involved. There's no cost to doing that. And then Veeam just literally absorbs that data, hydrates it, and puts it where you choose where you want to put it. It's a really powerful message for end user customers that are challenged with how do they protect data that lives inside public cloud. Okay. So if I walk you back to here, the final two things I want to touch on these spheres, really there's so many different use cases that we see within, in, in, in our sphere of customers or in, within your sphere of customers that are challenges. And just to touch on a couple of the ones, Office 365, if you're have a Microsoft subscription and you're doing CSPs and you're 
you know, moving customers into Office 365. Think about the protection of that data. Veeam are fully channel focused. We only sell our services through the channel. That's the only way we get our product to, to, to end user customers, okay? Thank you. So for us, this can be a resell, but more importantly, it can be a service. So back up for Office 365. If you guys are in the service provider space and you're dealing with your customers that have Office 365, ask them what they're doing about protecting that data. How are they protecting their email data they used to do on-prem? Now they've shifted that into cloud. Does that mean they don't have to protect it? SharePoint, OneDrive, all of that good stuff. So Veeam provides service providers the ability to monetize backup for things like Office 365 SaaS, okay? Equally so, GDPR was a good thing for us. Just finally, very touching that. We have this ability to actually bring up a backup, present it to an end user customer, and allow them to manually take out data before it's rehydrated back into the environment. Okay? We call that staged restore. So think about all these different spheres. And if customers are challenged with GDPR, how do you ensure that they can mitigate independent data from their backups when they're restoring it? And Veeam, we can do that now. So it's very, very powerful technology. So that was it, really. Fully channel-focused, guys. A few spheres to touch on there in our cloud play. I hope that was valuable to you. We're over in one of the stands over here. So if you have any questions, please come and call on me. Thank you. George, thank you very much. That was brilliant. Uh, now, pleasure to announce um, Adam P to the stage, who's uh, from Citrix, a uh, senior sales engineering manager, to talk about the impact of productivity. I am. And um, should we um, deal with the uh, first challenge? Any Polish speakers in the audience? No, apparently it's quite easy to pronounce. It's Adam. Beyond that, I don't have a clue. I get told I pronounce it wrong all the time. So I'm going to talk about cloud from, I'm, I've been a bit creative, right? So when we talk about cloud, um, it means so many different things to so many different people. So I'm going to actually come at cloud from a people perspective and what cloud can mean from kind of productivity and the impact on people and how they work and, and some of the challenges that we might face as we start using cloud. Now, before I carry on, I, um, we've been talking for a while now, so let's kind of, you know, quick show of hands. Who's worked with Citrix before? Excellent. Have you all sold Citrix before? Who hates Citrix? Oh, really? There's one. If I could take my shoe off and throw it, you know I would, but we're on camera. Um, um, so we've been around for 30 years, right? And um, happy birthday, us last week. Um, you don't need to sing, but I would appreciate it. No, let's leave that there as well. Um, now, I put the slides up because you know, we've been around for a long time. People know Citrix for lots of different reasons. And if you kind of go back 30 years ago to where we started from, was really remote access guys, right? People used us when they started looking at things like business process outsource and how can they start connecting people back into places from untrusted, unsecured locations. And kind of that was the challenge that we faced 30 years ago. When we start thinking about cloud, the reality is we have to start thinking about all people being untrusted and all people being remote. So the kind of problems that we've been looking at and helping our customers deal with for the last 30 years is more relevant today than it's ever been. And what we've seen over that 30 years is kind of evolution of the workforce. Have we got any millennials in the audience? Anyone want to own up, put a hand up? Yeah, just know we hate you. I don't care what you had for lunch, stop putting it on the internet, right? Um, there was only one person that was brave enough to say they was a millennial. Chris, your hand should have gone up then as well by the look of it. Um, we hate you for different reasons. Um, now, when we look at that workforce and the evolution of the workforce, right, the stats now say we have five different generations in the workforce. 
So I always look at it from kind of my own personal perspective. And up this end, we've got my mum who's nearing kind of retirement and she's now a part-time receptionist. And over this end, we've got my nieces who have just left uni and they're now lawyers and we hate them as well, right? And there's all these different generations in the, in the middle. Now, they all have different ways of working. So when we're kind of up this end of the spectrum, the way that people are used to working is part of their job training, right? They get taught, this is how you turn the PC on, here's how you log on, here's how you're going to launch that thing that you're going to then go and click those four buttons in. And then that's how you'll complete your process. And that was kind of fine in you know, yesteryear's technology. But when we kind of come down this end of the spectrum, we've got people that never need any IT training. And they just expect to work in different ways. It creates a kind of new world for us to start thinking about. Now, add to that hypermobility, where this stat is from people that typically work in an office location. The average office employee works from four different locations a day. Now, that might be at home in the morning, meeting room, canteen, desk, home again. But there's hypermobility, even in organizations that haven't embraced mobility. Right? So you kind of add all of these challenges together. And then we kind of go, well, what's that like from an experience perspective? And this is where the kind of cloud dichotomy comes in. Right? We start bringing in these, these new technologies. So well, what's the impact? How's that impact on how people want to work? So with 78% of millennials saying they would rather pay for a good experience than they would a product, you try explaining that to my nan. You know, I sat her down and tried to explain how Spotify works. And she's like, what, do I get a CD in the post? Like, no, nan, you don't get a CD in the post. She's like, but I want the physical thing. If I'm paying for it, I want to keep it, right? And we kind of, we've seen this new workforce that's come in that's actually demanding new ways of working, saying we want to be more service oriented. We want to work in a cloud-like manner. Now, we all love a stat. I love a bandwagon. Um, straight away, I'm going to call crap on this one. 100% of organizations are using some form of cloud today. Right? That's just the reality. Where we at Citrix see our customers going on their journey is on this kind of hybrid multi-cloud. Again, another bandwagon that's coming past that we're all jumping on, and we're all talking about hybrid multi-cloud. Now, when you start to bring the driving force of kind of different workforces, different technologies that people can use, we would typically expect in technology to see an uptick in productivity. But we've got this productivity paradox where um, if we look at kind of annualized labor productivity growth over the last few years, we're in decline. So we've got new technologies coming in. And for the first time in any new technology era, we've not seen productivity growth. Now, admittedly, if we look at the period that that's happening, there's been some mega trends. There was the, financial, the global financial crisis. We've had Trump. We've had Brexit. They've all had an impact. But we've had megatrends across the rest of the eras as well. And we've not seen that growth. And that's come because we've kind of hit fragmentation of technology. We all use so much technology now that for the average person to find all the things that they need to do their job has become increasingly complex. Right? So our study showed that the average person loses 20% of their time just trying to find the right stuff. I do a lot of presentations about information distraction. Right? How many notifications do we all see a day pop up on our phone that are trying to distract us from whatever we're trying to do? Anyone that works in marketing? Anyone in here? What would your guess be on the average number of adverts that the standard person sees a day? 
hundreds, thousands, 4,000 adverts the average person sees a day. We're getting blasted with information from all sorts. And that's kind of just in our personal lives, this kind of marketing world. But when we bring that into technology, we say, well, we've now got all these new cloud services, whether that's SaaS applications hosted on IaaS or we're using PaaS, they're all trying to get my attention. And that distracts me from what I'm trying to do. And then you kind of throw in that that I use my work phone for personal use as well. And I've got this blurred lines that's constantly trying to pull me away from what my organization is paying me to do. Um, good if I took a call now, wouldn't it? How would that be for a distraction? Um, and then the other thing is kind of because of these different ways of working, we see the standard person context switching every two minutes to complete a process. Either switching between devices or constantly flicking between applications. So we might go into one SaaS application to get a piece of data to then go and take into another SaaS application to complete a process. Because the integration of cloud-based applications has been pretty poor. Trying to bring these workflows together can be quite challenging to a lot of our customers. So we see this kind of context switch um, every two minutes. Now, if you put that into context that the average user now uses nine different applications a day and has 12 different applications open at any given point, that's a lot of alt-tabbing just to get stuff done, right? So from what we see, there's lots of opportunity. But when we don't take people on that journey, when we don't think about the people impact, um, we can get a lot of this stuff wrong. And this is kind of specifically looking at it from a person perspective. User experience can go down, right? We've, I've, I think we've had three different vendors that have all talked about Office 365. Is Office 365 an app? Is it five apps? Is it a web-based app? Is it a cloud service? It's a whole combination of all of those different things, right? Now, if people don't understand how to use those, the user experience starts going down. And that's just one service. So at Citrix, we talk about kind of the people-centric approach. So we're going to do cloud, and we're going to start leveraging whether it's SaaS, IaaS, PaaS. We understand that that's a journey that people are going on. But we're always thinking about how does that impact people? How do we deliver those services? Because I think fundamentally, that's what we're talking about, right? Cloud, from an end user perspective, is just a service. I don't really care what it is. It's just this thing that I need to get to so that I can do my job. It's just a service that enables me to be productive or to complete my process. So we always kind of put people in the middle and then think about how do we start connecting all of this stuff together? How do we, you know, if we're going to go to a cloud platform, great, we need to manage it. We need to have you know, um, all of the different tools that's going to enable us to migrate and manage and secure that service. What's user experience like? Am I going to monitor the connectivity to that cloud so that I can understand, is that even the right place to be sending my user traffic? There is a plus point. When we start leveraging cloud digital workspaces, there's a massive uptick in user productivity. So there's typically, for a digital workspace, a 10 times return for the customer. Right. So that 20% that was talking about that's wasted productivity time, we can turn that around and we can see ROI on that and we can see growth in, in one minute's go already. Yeah, good luck. Um, I've got a mic and a clicker. <laughs> so I'm just going to go really fast now, strap in. Um, so from our point of view, I'm going to build this out quickly and we'll stop here, right? So we always think about people. So I put devices there, bring it back to people, right? If I've got different applications, different services that could be running in a whole number of different locations, um, how do I connect to all of those? What's it like from an end user experience? Do I have to remember 20 different logons to 20 different locations to you know, different applications? Depends how we deploy it, right? So from our point of view, yeah, we've got the cloud stuff. The average user spends 4.7 hours in a cloud browser. right? That's how they'll work 4.7 hours of the day. The rest of the time, they're still using 
traditional on-premise stuff. So how do we deliver the best possible user experience across all of these things? Um, while not annoying, any tech is in the audience. Great, we don't want to annoy you, right? Um, we've got to deliver all this stuff, make it easy for end users without really annoying people. So at that, I'm going to stop because it looks like Russell's going to stab me with a piece of paper. Um, if anybody wants to hear any more, you know, shameless pitch, we're over in the corner. You're, we're really good at hide and seek. So if you just look around, you'll find us hiding in the corner. We'll just stand right over there. Come and have a chat with us, and we can go through all the stuff that we've talked about. Thank you very much. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So now welcoming Alison Say to the stage. Alison is the Director of Partner Ecosystem for IBM Cloud and Cognitive Software in Europe. Alison, over to you. Can you guys hear me? No. Am I good? Can you probably hear me? Because it's quite noisy in here, right? So first of all, guys, you've been sitting for like 40 minutes. So we need a little bit of a stretch because I don't know about you guys, but four back-to-back 10-minute, -back four or five, four back-to-back 10-minute -back presentations and then me. So just take a moment, take a breath. Do a little stretch. And I stayed in my trainers, so I hope you guys don't mind. So you changed my format. That's really interesting. I don't recognize it anyway. So listen, 10 minutes to talk about IBM Cloud is practically impossible. So any of you that work with IBM Cloud, first of all, thank you. We really appreciate your business and look forward to continuing to work with you. But it's pretty difficult with the breadth of our portfolio, data and AI, cloud integration, our cloud platform. We're not just a public cloud offering. So difficult to do that in 10 minutes. But it did get me thinking about time and the fact that um, we live in a very fast-paced world. And our clients' expectations, our expectations on how fast we need our businesses' needs met is really quite extraordinary today. So, and if we think the business needs that we have today and those of our clients are fast, imagine what it's going to be like. Forget, forget the millennials, Matt. Are you sure you're a millennial, Matt? Just about, right? Forget the millennials. What about Gen Z, right? Gen Z is born on the cloud. Gen Z is native to the cloud, right? So I have a six-year-old daughter, and thanks to cloud, to the onset of cloud, where we are in the cloud journey, to automization, to optimization, to superior supply chain, superior logistics, I have a six-year-old daughter that says to me, Mommy, when is my, what time is my package going to be delivered? Not what day, not even in the world that we perhaps lived in, what week? but what time, and we have delivered that for our clients today and obviously for our clients in the future. So um, we live in a very fast-paced environment, as I said, and time to market is everything. Time to market, time to value creation, time to realization of value, and ultimately time to revenue. And cloud is effectively the part that helps enable us drive that time to revenue. Can I just stop for a second? You have actually the wrong slide notes and everything on here, so I don't know who loaded that, but it, you can scroll up all you like, it's the, it, it's the wrong note, so I don't know why, but never mind. So, um, so but, but in terms of time, we've actually done, uh, where, sorry guys, it's like totally thrown me with the wrong slide deck. Can we like maybe take it off and put it back on again? Because you have actually the wrong notes on my slide deck. Where's Chris? Do you guys want to switch the next guys and I'll try and change my deck? Do you want to do that? I can't hear you. Sorry, guys. It's just really off-putting. It's scrolling here and I can't. Let me try and change the deck and we'll talk to you.
Sam, can you hear me in the back? Wonderful. Oh. But Sam, that doesn't work. Uh, but that's fine. I don't need the notes. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so we're going to reset the timer because you've got 10 minutes, right? That's where we go. Okay. So hi, everyone. My name is Akhil Honda, and I'm with Palo Alto Networks. Um, just a show of hands, uh, how many of you heard of Palo Alto Networks? Wow, that never happens. Um, you know, I joined a year and a half. My wife works with IBM, actually. And uh, she said, who are you going to join? I said, Palo Alto Networks. She said, Palo who? I said, yeah, exactly. You work for IBM. You don't really know me. Um, but what I, before I start, I just wanted to say a big thank you. It's, uh, it's nice and sunny now. But uh, thank you for taking the time on a busy afternoon, on a Wednesday afternoon, and spending some time listening to us. So hopefully the next nine minutes or so would be a little bit interesting, and you leave with more than you came with. Okay, Let's get started. For those of you who don't know who we are, very quickly, we are, uh, you know, we are an enterprise security company. Uh, we're based in Santa Clara, headquartered in San Jose. And uh, you know, we have been focusing on the global 2000s, pretty much, like most other companies. That makes us an enterprise company. What we have done very well is grown very rapidly. We got founded in 2007. In 2012, we, we went public. So we've grown from a $200 million company in 2012 to about a $2.3 billion business. Um, this is the last two months of our financial quarter. We've declared to the street that we'll come in just under $3 billion. So just think about it, $200 million to $3 billion in six years, that's a 15x you know, growth rate in a market that's only growing 5%. We must be doing something right. And I, and I started to think about it. What exactly is this working for, besides a great sales force? Uh, we spend about half a billion dollars on R&D. Our engineering dollars go on R&D. Uh, my Microsoft colleagues in the past have said, uh, Microsoft spends a, a billion dollars on security. We spend half a billion. And we are 135th their size. They're a $110 billion beast. You know? So we're very small, but we spend a lot of our money on R&D. The other thing that we've done is we've transformed ourselves from a hardware company to a digital company as well. In fact, it was really interesting. Forbes said that Palo Alto Networks is a top 10 digital company. That was very, very heartening to see. Uh, about six years back, all our revenue was through hardware funnels, necessarily. But we moved to a consumption-based and a cloud-based economy. We moved a lot of our threat intelligence up into the cloud as well. We've adopted cloud as a cloud first. And we've been able to you know, garner some points in terms of trying to move forward. Sorry, you've got to keep looking back because there's nothing out there. Um, at the same time, as we know, you've got to move quick. We also know you've got to manage your risk. You've got to embrace your risk. And what do we do with that? I'm not sure how many of you have seen this chart, but since 2012, this is the World Economic Forum chart that calls out the biggest risk uh, parameters for the year. And cybersecurity has been a top five right through, pretty much. It has helped our cause in terms of creating solutions for an industry that basically solves those problems. But at the same time, it's out of our hands, it's growing so rapidly. I always show this slide saying it's a $6 trillion market. And then ask anyone, does anyone know the global GDP? It's about $85 trillion. But cybersecurity effectively is inhibiting us. It's about 7% of global GDP. So every time I take two steps forward, I got to take three steps back. That's one of the real issues that we have as an organization. We talk about cloud computing. Uh, this is the right scale report uh, from cloud, uh, specifically talking about the fears that customers have in terms of moving across to the cloud. I'll share some of these slides with you, those of you taking photographs. But from 2017 to 2018, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. Security, it continues to be a fear. We're not doing a good job of it. Why is it so hard? By the way, is, can you all hear me at the back? Is that okay? 
Okay, great. Why is it so hard? Basically, we got a lot of stuff that we've done in the past and we've done it incorrectly. And at the RSA conference, any of you were there at the RSA conference this year? None of you. There were 2,000 ISV solutions. A lot of innovation going in, but what do your customers actually go and pick and choose? What do you cherry pick? And if you cherry pick five different ISV solutions for security, each one of them has another five features and another five solutions within that. So you got 25 to 30 solutions every time. You can't really try and do that. This is the cybersecurity landscape, and I know Backup and DR has the same, but these are way too many vendors, and you're gonna see a consolidation in the space. Um, and Gartner will throw a statistic like that, but of course, because it is gonna be a problem, that basically not 99%, but 100% of the time is the customer's problem. How do we solve that? Um, I would say, when we go and scan customer databases and try and see what exactly are the problems, they're quite small. It's just about misconfigurations. It's about poor password policies. I know Microsoft last week announced the fact that we're gonna do away with pass passwords effectively. Unprotected root directories, unsecured VPCs. The problems are not that big. But when you think about it, we can't do this alone. So we work very well with our cloud vendors. So we are cloud agnostic. We work with IBM Cloud, Alibaba Cloud, Oracle Cloud. Microsoft, Azure, AWS, the, and Google, sorry. Uh, so we work with all the cloud vendors, but they manage the security of the infrastructure layer. How many of you have seen the shared security model? Few of you, right? I hadn't seen it when I was at Microsoft previously, but the cloud vendors are pretty much responsible for the security of the infrastructure, which is the compute storage and networking. Our responsibility as a cybersecurity vendor is all the data that moves onto the cloud and then off it again. So in a perfectly hybrid model, you've got some data that resides on a phone or it resides on a boat mapping the ocean seafloor on an IoT gateway or back onto the public cloud. We manage the data. We secure the data with a security blanket around it. Okay? Making sense? Good. Thanks. And so when we go and spend those $500 million, what do we do? Where do we engineer it? What are the contextual blueprints based on which we create those products? Visibility and control. If you can't see it, if I don't see the bad guys, I don't even know where to start with. Second one, tight integration. We want to make sure that you don't have another five products to go and sell with. So we've got to integrate everything. And the last one is analytics and automation. Everyone's either saying analytics, AI, ML, deep learning, et cetera. But if you can repeat it, you should automate it. That's pretty much the mantra that we have. You can do that if you can analyze all the data that you have. So you've got machine learning, which requires a lot of data. In, we have these various endpoints from public cloud to data centers to mobile, et cetera. We collect all this data from endpoints. We squirt it into a, what we call the largest threat intelligence cloud out there. We squirt that data and then we build applications on it now. So we started to build applications to try and make sure that we can plug all those gaps in the cybersecurity market that we see. But very quickly we realized that we can't do it alone. So we opened up the threat intelligence data lake to third parties. IBM is one of them who are developing applications on our threat intel data as well. We share this data with government agencies, with Interpol. So there's a lot of collaboration that's taking place. We also help build customer-specific applications. Partners are building on this. There's a partner called Ontoit that's a reseller in the northern region, and they've gone and built a security operation center on rent. So you don't need to go and create and skill, skill up a bunch of people where you're not going to find the cybersecurity people. Just use that application to route all your traffic through and rent it out. So we've been able to do that, and these are some of the companies that we work with to give you an idea. Most of them you've never heard of, Recorder Futures, Phantom, ProtectWise. I try to detail how this kind of works. We detect a bad packet, we, we do a retroactive search, for instance. We send that party feed across, we send the bad packets across to everyone we know. 
Recorded Future is not a Palo Alto Networks company. That applies a risk score between zero and 10. If it's super risky, then Phantom will quarantine that user. And once they quarantine that user, we got a third party again called ProtectWise that visualizes the incident, gives you an audit trail, be it GDPR or whatever you have, NISP, et cetera, and it goes back into the overall system. That happens without any human intervention. I think that is key. It has to be automated, it has to be real time. It happens inside 300 seconds, which is super quick. Just imagine you not being able to do it. So, by the way, anyone knows what the unemployment rate for a cybersecurity professional is, for the cybersecurity industry? It's 0%. It's been 0% since 2016. Actually, I think it's minus 3%. Because you can't find, there are more jobs than people to fill them. You have to make sure that this happens automatically, anything in the future. Uh, I've said open and collaborative. I won't talk any more about that. But what's kind of happened as a result of that is we built our business on three fronts. We call it secure the enterprise because that's holistically what we've done. We also talk about securing the cloud. And finally, it's about securing the data and the data like at the center. I've got one minute to go. Any questions? How was that? Was that useful? Let me ask you a question. Thank you. Any specific questions that you have for me? Okay. Thank you very much. Ah, cool. Thank you very much. That was brilliant. Um, now I'd like to welcome Gavin to the stage. Slight change in order as we, we move through. Gavin, thank you very much. Can you hear me OK? Perfect. Excellent. So thank you very much, guys. My name is Gavin from Trend Micro. Um, there may be some similarities of a message with uh, our friend from Palo Alto, actually, as we are also a cybersecurity um, company. We've actually, so those who don't know about Trend Micro, we've been around for, for 30 years, and we are, we are we're headquartered over in Japan. So um, where we started as, as, as a cybersecurity company was very much on antivirus AV, which was 30 years ago was all you needed for security. And I think the, the, the question people are asking, well, hang on, this is, this is a session about cloud. What, why is there security vendors in this? The main reason for that is, is this story here. So all of our customers, and I would say all of our customers actually, are in, on some point of this journey. So whether they are still in that physical state, going from physical environments through to virtual, through the, through the cloud environments, they're using a variety of different solutions to, to, to have those environments. And what we actually see is, is our customers are in, in a state of flux as to how to make sure that this transition is actually secured as well. So yes, very easy on the, on, on the left-hand side, you know, we have that, that physical environment. Trend helped secure that physical environment. That's what we started, right? We started securing that physical environment. But what we actually do in, in, in the cloud space and the virtualization space is with the likes of Microsoft and, 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 and uh, Azure and uh, AWS, we have direct API integration points with, with, these, with these suppliers as well. Um, and what I mean by that is, is if I'm a customer that is, needs automation on those workloads, I need to get them up quick, I need to make sure that my environments are, are, are fully automated and, and, and working at a very quick rate, I need to make sure they're secure. So as a customer who maybe is working in, in that DevOps environment, I don't care about security. But as the back-end IT administrator that does care about security, bearing in mind, as some of, some of our previous speakers have mentioned, you know, uh, cybersecurity is high on that list, especially in, in, the, in the boardroom concern. What we're actually looking to do is, is wrap policies around this, these environments. So the people working on these environments don't need to care about it. So effectively, this is you know, going from that physical state all the way through to containers and even serverless environments. So 
the DevOps world, and there's been lots of slides today about the, the amount of and uh, the, the volume of different tools that are being used. Those tools that are being used, they, they, they could go effectively anywhere in terms of in terms of, uh, of overlap. But if we can wrap policies around that, that's what's really key. So what does trend do, and why and, and why trend as well? So I'm actually going to build this slide up because it will uh, give a bit more space in there. So. Trend has been around for 30 years, as I mentioned, and we start on, the, on that left-hand side, that user protection space. The user protection space very much is, as it says, right, protects the user. But not just the, not just the, the devices, but the user's data. So if we, have, if we have users that are using things like Office 365, Google Drive, Dropbox, any of these great web tools that everybody is, is most likely using in, in some state, we're actually protecting the data that's, that's being transitioned between those, those environments. The network defense piece is very much around our advanced threat protection. So what we don't actually do is, is physical firewalls. That's, that's not our bag. What we're doing here is we're actually looking at the traffic coming north and south, so in and out of your environment, and laterally, so, e so east to west. So going from my laptop to maybe to, to, to a server or one of my colleagues' laptops. And what we're actually doing at network defense piece is we are we're looking at that data and we're we're basically investigating it on the fly as it's moving through. So if a threat comes into the environment, and it might not come in from external, it may come in from a USB device, it may come in from some other formal means into that environment, we are looking at that data and we're capturing it and making sure it's contained if there's, a, if there's a threat within there. But effectively, linking into the user protection piece, we still want to make sure that that business can continue working at 100% as, as what it needs to. And then probably the relevant piece for, for this particular forum is, is around that hybrid cloud security. So going back to my previous slide, looking at that, that journey, what we can do with hybrid cloud security is, is, is secure environments, whether it's physical, whether it's cloud environment, whether it's virtual environments, and have a centralized intelligence. This is where that visibility investigation comes in. So great, okay, I can have security on my, on my endpoints, I can have security on my network, and security on my hybrid cloud, whatever that may be. But what use is all of that if they're not talking together? That's what our centralized intelligence does. So we, if we are seeing a threat on an endpoint, or we're seeing a threat on, a, on an Azure environment, or somewhere on the network, we are collating that information, that threat intelligence, and we're making sure that that's cross-correlating. So if I see a threat on my endpoint, you know what, my servers are going to know about it before they get hit by it. And yes, we have that smart protection network, and that is our threat intelligence. This is where every single one of our customers, whether that is enterprise level with 5,000 users or down to home consumers, because yeah, we, we, we've got home consumer solutions as well, they are getting the same threat intelligence globally. Whether, so whoever discovers that first, whoever, get, whoever becomes that zero, zero day patient, they're, they're seeing that information first. Now, being that I'm a techie, there's never gonna be a slide about a technical slide here, so I'm gonna be very quick on this section here. Um, if you think of environments, again, that user, the cloud environment, and the network piece, what Trend puts in place, really, is, and I'll start on the network piece from this, in this element here, we have that ability to, to look at that, in, that information coming in and out and laterally across your network. I've already mentioned that. But what's really key here is we have um, that advanced threat protection, and around this is, is customized sandbox. And for those that don't know, don't know what sandboxing is, as a child sandbox, it's a safe environment to play in, right? So this is where if we see a threat somewhere on your environment, we can send that threat to a sandbox 
and we can actually investigate it further. So we can, as a user's looking at that, that, that threat in that sandbox, we can explode it and we can actually see what it's trying to do. As we're moving on, we then have the, our traditional part of our business, which is the user protection side. And I say traditional because obviously we have those devices, but you know what, look at the, down here we have Office 365, Dropbox, Box, Google Drive, etc. all these great web tools. So again, going back to the whole piece around collaboration of, of that threat intelligence, we're doing that on the endpoint side as well. And then that, deep, that, that hybrid cloud environment, which is known as deep security, which is what we're talking about right now, is containing and securing those cloud environments as well. And the kind of latest addition to this is, yes, we have that centralized intelligence, but what we now offer is a managed detection and response service. So what trend has been good for the last 30 years is seeing a threat, stopping the threat, containing it, and cleaning it up. But how about if you have that threat and you, and you say, you know what, I want to know where that threat came from, I want to know where it started, and I want to make sure it doesn't happen again. So what the MDR does, the managed detection response, is effectively a black box, as on an aeroplane. So you get hit with a threat. What it's doing is it is recording every single aspect of that endpoint or device or server or cloud environment. And so if I do get hit by, if I do get hit by a new threat and it gets contained, I can look back to see the footprint and the root cause analysis of what actually happened to make sure it doesn't happen again. Really, really powerful tool. And it's, it's, it, it, this has is, this is proven very um, useful for our customers. And again, talking about our environment and our customers' environments, is we have that, th that threat correlation across, the, across wherever it may be, whether it's network, on endpoint, et cetera. Now, Trend Micro is a cybersecurity vendor, and I, I, I can't go a uh, presentation without actually talking about what we do to, to make sure we have that right threat intelligence. So we have something called Trend Micro Research, which is, which is where the core of our business lies. So Trend has been around 30 years, right? And we've got over 6,000 employees, and half of those are technologists, so people who work on our, on our solutions and actually within our threat intelligence as well. And I'll pick out a few, few areas within here. So um, the one there where it says zero day initiative. So we actually, of course, yeah, we discovered those threats, that first one on the left, but we're also looking at vulnerabilities and exploits. And what I mean by this is people here, if I heard of WannaCry, but hit, uh, 18 months ago, hit the NHS. That was down to a vulnerability on a very archaic um, operate, old operating system. What we actually did was we, d we looked at that, that vulnerability and we discovered it through Zero Day Initiative. And Zero Day Initiative is effectively a, a, a bounty program where we pay white hat researchers to go out and find these threats and these new vulnerabilities. But as I've only got less than a minute left, uh, I'll quickly nip through these. Um, we also have things like looking at the, the dark web to help us understand that intelligence as well. So I'm just very quickly going to build this up. But effectively, our research, what it does is we actually pile that research directly into our development. When I say 3,000 people working on this, that's what we have globally. Um, we also have uh, other areas that we work with around um, third-party and private-public public relationships, such as law enforcement, etc. as well. And this is very much a whistle-stop tool. I think one of the previous speakers mentioned 10 minutes to talk about a 30-year business is not a long time. So, uh, yeah, come over to stand 28, we can talk a lot more about it, but effectively it's looking at securing network user and, uh, and hybrid cloud environments. Cheers. Thank you very much. Gavin, so thank you very much for that. 
Unfortunately, we have had a technical issue with the IBM presentation, and IBM is so secure, which will make all of the, the cloud security vendors happy, that we can't actually get the new slides out of IBM onto our system. So Alison's going to join us again for the second session. Um, so if you do have the time, we'll try and get the IBM uh, presentation in first so you can join um, and then revisit that prior to moving on. So uh, I'm keen to take just the last 10 minutes of the session today to talk a little bit um, about Arrow and how ultimately we can help you to make sense of some of the messages that you've heard today and some of the complexity that comes with the landscape that's evolving in front of us. So elephant in the room. I think we're all very much aware that distribution needed to evolve. Um, and I'm in a fortunate position to be looking after the cloud business, which is key to a lot of the evolution that we're driving. It sits at the forefront of that and is an overarching um, accelerator. And I had a couple of meetings with partners when I first took over the cloud business, which was about two years ago. And this was a, a genuine statement that was made to me. And the question was, Chris, you can't put cloud in a box and ship it. So what do you do anymore? Bit of a bit of a big question to ask, but it was valid. And I'd hope to say that over the last 18 months, we've really done a huge amount of work to address that question and to make sure that you as partners can understand the value that we put forward in front of you as a cloud technology partner. So what do we do? Well, I'd like to start with talking about what a successful partnership looks like for me, for my team, uh, between us and your organizations. And firstly, what does a successful partner look like? Well, a successful partner is leveraging multiple technologies. They're developing their own IP, and ultimately they're going to market with an outcome. But that's complicated. Solution building really is complicated. And it sounds like a great idea. I'll go to my customers and I'll deliver them a single line item on their invoice that will solve a problem. But you as partners, CSPs, MSPs, still have to manage the complexity of multiple cloud programs, vendor programs, which sit beneath that. So what's the solution to that? Well, the answer is Arisphere, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But before I do so, I just want to elevate the conversation up um, above that traditional operational challenge, above that bundling challenge, um, and start to talk a little bit about the wider uh, Arrow organization. Now, I'm going to use that, well, I'm going to use two examples to articulate this point. The first is simple, and the second is slightly more advanced. But the first is how many of you in the room? who are CSPs, MSPs, partners with us, are currently engaged with our value recovery business, our recycling business, just by show of hands. One. So Mark mentioned it in the keynote earlier today. We're a $30 billion organization, but only about 30% of our global revenue actually transacts through ECS, which is our distribution arm. We're a huge services organization. We're a huge componentry organization, and value recovery is almost a no-brainer for partners because you're all CSPs, you're all MSPs, you're all on a journey to the cloud. So ultimately, one of the things that you're going to be asking your customers to do is migrate their workloads into your public cloud environments, into your private cloud environments, and put their trust in you. But are you asking them the question about what they're doing with the equipment that's undoubtedly going end of service or end of life? Because ultimately, by working with Arrow to deliver cloud services, you're getting access to that business unit. So you can go out to your customers and say, look, let me help you to solve another problem without any real investment in terms of skill from your side of the organization. You're more than welcome to white label our services. So you don't have to come to market and say, well, it's ours, but you can do if you want to. But ultimately, we will come in, we will work with you, we will co-sell with you to allow you to put another element of value on the table to win a deal. 
It's differentiation. So really keen for you to get engaged and come and talk to the team um, about working with our value recovery uh, specialists. Slightly more complicated example, Office 365 keeps coming up. Everybody's talked about it. Office 365 as a product, if you look at it in isolation, is solving an element of a challenge. But realistically, you should look at Office 365 as an indicator that the customers that you're working with have already started a digital transformation journey. They're moving on it. And there will be other elements that you should be looking at. And ultimately, we've got an ecosystem of partners within our componentry business that realistically aren't interested in the license sale. They're not cloud specialists. They're not Office 365 specialists. They're specialists in delivering services around, ultimately, digital transformation, whether that be IoT, whether it be looking at smarter buildings, whether it be looking at operational technology advances. Our IoT business is there to assist with you. And I think the last point on this slide is, is really important to me to get across today, in that I'd like you to leave the sessions understanding that Arrow ultimately is no longer just a distribution partner. We don't want to be a supply chain partner in isolation. We want to be a technology partner that's coming in and co-selling with you and put you in a position where you'll feel confident to say, I actually work with Arrow on something other than supply. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me ground the conversation again because we've kind of gone fairly high level on that, but I do think it's, it's an important point. You've heard from a fantastic set of vendors today. So ultimately, how do you engage and get those offerings into your portfolio tomorrow. Let me talk a little bit about Aerosphere and update you on the latest version because ultimately I'm really proud of where we currently stand with Aerosphere. It's a fantastic platform and for those of you who have worked with this for a while, hopefully some of these numbers will speak for themselves. We founded the platform in 2013 and over the last six years we've done a huge amount of work to roll it out across 25 geographies. We service over 8,000 CSPs and MSPs globally today and over a million end user seats are managed. In fact, we're the fastest growing Microsoft CSP indirect provider in the world at the moment. And I think that's testament to the ability and to the platform. Um, transactions year on year growing 90% and three million lines of code. That's relevant because Aerosphere is our platform. We're not bringing anything in which is third party. We're not relying on suppliers and therefore we're able, we're able to hear your feedback. And that's critical to what we do because those of you who work with Aerosphere already, you'll recognize it as a fantastic aggregation tool whereby you can build a cloud practice and start to consume up to 26, 27, 28 vendor programs. Whether that be IaaS, PaaS, SaaS, pay-as-you-go licensing, all available through us as an aggregator. That's Aerosphere traditionally. What I want to talk about quickly, though, is my cloud portal because this is a big differentiator for us and it's a new launch that potentially you may not have heard about before. So Aerosphere MyCloud Portal is a fully functional end-user self-service module that comes as part of your subscription to Aerosphere. And what this allows you to do is spin up a dedicated web portal that looks like your site. So this is yours, your customers log in, it looks like you. And it's going to give them the capability to start self-serving. So we're giving you a web store. Ultimately, the three things that this platform allows them to do is procure new services, manage existing services, and then also analyze their usage. And if we go through those, what the benefits are, firstly, from a procurement standpoint, they're going to log into your platform, and we're going to stock it with things that we're going to supply you with. But we're not going to stock you at that point. My Cloud Portal is a web shop, and half of it will be stocked by our stuff that we help you with, but the other half is yours to do with what you want. You can load professional services in. You can load vendor technologies that you don't procure through Arrow in. You can load your own ISV applications in. 
It's going to give you the opportunity to take those to market and put them in front of your customers through a portal that looks like your own with all of the automated provision that comes with the cloud platforms. In addition to that, if we look at the management, how many of you have a big operational overhead around your cloud business today? You'd say you're hiring more than five people. You? Anyway, right, so when we look at where we are with the overhead of, of management of licensing, often a customer's gonna have to pick the phone up to you and they're gonna have to say, look, we need five more seats, 10 more seats, 15 more seats. The big partners that we're working with today to build those solution-based practices have moved to us because we're giving them the capability to not have to deal with that overhead. Ultimately, their customers are logging in, they're upping their seat counts themselves, they're downing their seat counts themselves. And then when it comes to the invoice, another big operational overhead is, let's take an Azure example. You'll bill your customers for their Azure usage, and often you'll do that as a single line item. The problem is the customer then picks the phone up to you and says, look, that's great, Mr. Partner, but..." I don't understand how I can break your invoice down because I've got five cost centers which sit beneath that single Azure tenant. Big problem because then you've got to take all of the reporting, download the spreadsheets and try and ultimately break that down with your customer. With my cloud portal, we allow you to tag all of your public and cloud environments against cost centers, project codes, whatever it may be that you want to use as an identifying feature. And what that will allow your customers to do is never have to pick the phone up to you. They can just look at their bill from you log into my cloud portal, which will look like your site, and they'll be able to see as a percentage breakdown what percentage of that invoice was cost center one, cost center two, cost center three, so it gives them control. So purchase, management, and analysis, really, really powerful tools. Just want to touch on governance, because I know James talked about this a lot, and this is, again, a really important thing to be looking at. And spoke to James before we got up and he said, well, how do we make sure the partners have control of this quickly without having to purchase a third-party tool? So we built advanced governance and advanced IaaS analytics into the platform. And what this allows you to do is on a per-customer basis and a per-tenant basis, see previous month consumption, current month consumption to date, and a projected minimum and maximum projected consumption against that cloud estate. And that's going to give you control. You can set budget limits per customer as well. And what that's going to allow us to do is notify you if on day five, we think that that customer tenant is going to cross that budget limit on day 22, we're going to let you know. And that allows you to go and have a conversation with the customer to say, potentially we need to have a conversation about what we're going to do. Um, in addition to that, as you start to pass more control to those end users to allow them to self-serve, you need to maintain control of ultimately your business growth. So we've just launched an entire new suite of dashboarding tools and SaaS dashboard is a good example. This will show you every SaaS product that each of your customers is consuming. It's going to give you your margin. It's going to give you your month-on-month -month growth, your projected year-on-year -year growth, and it's going to show you which customers, ultimately, you should be spending time with and you're picking the phone up to. So dashboard for SaaS, really powerful. IaaS dashboard as well, an incredibly powerful tool too. So what does Arisphere do at a base level? We allow you to quote an order. So we're still very good at that. We allow you to manage licensing we allow you to analyze usage, and ultimately, we then help you to bill multi-cloud environments through a single portal. And that billing element's really important because you're gonna load your customers in, and whatever you decide to build your solutions with, all of the products will be billed to you per customer on a single invoice, and at a very simple level, if you just wanna add your margin to that invoice and load it into your ERP system to produce that bill, that's absolutely fine. But what we'd encourage you to do is start to think about the solution driver so if you're getting a simple to consume bill from us, that gives you more bandwidth to start to look at how you bill it 
and maximize your margin, whether that be on a per user basis, whether it be on a per terabyte basis, gives you the flexibility to ultimately protect your margins. Because then your customers aren't going to come to you and say, oh, Mr. Partner, at the end of the day, I think I could source this element cheaper elsewhere. Because you're not showing them that. You're delivering them an, an outcome. So I'm very conscious of time because I'm standing between you and a, and a cup of coffee before the next stream. But my call to action is let's build a plan together. So our team are going to reach out to all of you after this session and after the event. And we're going to ask you, what outcomes are you looking to drive in 2019? What solutions are you looking to build? And then based upon what you've heard today, and it really has been a whistle-stop store of vendor technologies, which vendor technologies are you looking to incorporate into that plan? And let's build a tripartite agreement. Let's bring them in. So with that, I think I'm going to call it a wrap. And because we're kind of pushed for time, I'm going to ask the speakers to hang around. So please do come and have a chat with us at the front. Um, but can I ask you for one final round of applause for all of the speakers who have joined us today. And thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated.